Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I'm going to be brave because I'm recording the shortest intro in my memory, because it's currently half past midnight and a podcast is coming out in six hours. I didn't account for the fact that I had a busy week at work. The world is opening up, even though... I may or may not agree with how that's happening. And I'm back at exercising regularly with my capoeira group, which means that instead of finishing the edit earlier on in the day, I went to my capoeira class and hung out a little bit after it. So yeah, I'm giving you a break from ranting, even though I have prepared a rant for this. <sighs> Guys, I'm right next to my bed and it's full-on calling for me to crawl in and sleep because we're not even midway through the week and I'm already exhausted. Remember pre-pandemic times? They're here again. This episode starts as Dowdy always starts with my guest Janet O introducing herself. And my name is Janet. It's interesting when you ask me what, what I am and what my title is or what I do because in this industry, the title can change so much depending on who you're talking to and what you're doing. So I'm a development producer, as labelled by my my agent. I am also a script editor, but that means different things to different people, depending on what context you're working in. I'm a script consultant, uh, and I like to think of myself actually more as more of a creative producer. So essentially, I work with writers, I work with production companies, and I work with broadcasters. Um, and I help them develop scripts and I help them make, so produce as well, their TV and, and films. Uh, so bring the stories to life. And that can happen uh, at a variety of stages. People come to me with just an idea. They might come to me with a script that's fully formed. They want help polishing or taking another direction. They can get me involved in the productions on the way. I work with people at different, at different points, as I say. Um, but yes, it's an interesting question of what my title should be, because it totally depends on who, I, who I'm speaking to. In fact, funny enough, I was just looking at a, a, a role that was going and that role was called a title that I'd not heard before. And it is that thing where, you know, people kind of make it up, these half of these titles. I'm sure people who know the industry much better than me will tell me that that's not, 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 not the case in the slightest. But um, I know for a fact, for example, the script editor, it, there are different types of script editors. So you can be a script editor in production. And actually what that means is you're more, you're not really doing the creative side of things. You are doing um, more like script changes and amendments. And you're making sure that all the HODs have, you know, that's more in production. You're making sure all the HODs have the new versions of scripts and you're making sure that everybody is across everything in an admin kind of way. Uh, the script editing I do is more like that's why I call it script consultancy because really it's more about story and it's more about the editorial side of things and actually developing and putting the story out so yes but there's a so the script editing and then there's a develop I used to be a development exec when I worked in the commissioning team at Sky and then this new role like title that I heard about recently which is script development executive which seems to be a hybrid of all of the above so yes it depends on what day of the week it is who you're talking to but essentially my <laughs> role is helping people with their scripts and helping them get them made. I think I will add to that, which I think like I've mentioned a few times in the podcast how I came up with the idea and I mentioned being in a, a, an Uber ride with a friend 
and talking about a project. And I know that I told you this and you don't even quite remember, but you helped me come up with the idea of bravery for the podcast. Oh. <laughs> so I guess that's part of your work as a, someone who is creative with ideas. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I'm glad somebody remembers what I ramble on about. Um, that's very <laughs> flattering. Oh, well, I'm... I'm more than proud then because this has been you're doing really well with this aren't you and when I saw you setting this up I was applauding so I, I so even begin to have any influence on you in that area is very flattering so I'm I'm delighted so oh, that's great thank you yeah how have you been doing it you know how your objectives change throughout a project and your what you want to take out of the project also changes and what changed hugely about the fact that I have a podcast and uh, what I'm taking from it is that it's happening during COVID and a period of isolation and that just means that I can sit for an hour with someone that I enjoy talking to or that I want to know more about right just sit and chat with someone and even if nothing else comes from having a podcast I'm just having a, a fun conversation with someone yeah, that's a beautiful thing definitely not to be underestimated so yeah I think that element of isolation and not just in the self-isolation, keeping safe, but that, you know, the, the side effects from COVID and from us all having to work from home and everything is, has really taken a toll on so many people. And I've been really lucky, really. The whole isolation thing has been such an issue for lots of people. And I haven't had to, that challenge of finding out how I would have coped because whilst I normally live by myself, during lockdown, I've been staying with my mum. There was no point in leaving my mum to live by herself and me living by myself on the other side of London and her not having any support. So I came to my mum's and I've been with her during lockdown and there's lots of things that I take for granted really in this process and so yes I'm here to help her but actually what I've realised is in an inadvertent way she's no doubt been helping me as well you know I had a really lovely friend of mine who lives by herself talk about the fact that she hadn't hugged anybody for a year yeah you know and there's all of those things those side effects that you just don't think of and I'm because I'm just by the nature of being here with my mum even you know that I you know give a little hug a little kiss that's just what you do I'm lucky to be able to, to be in that situation so yeah I, I it's a it's an interesting thought from my perspective interesting to me anyway about whether about how well I would have coped by myself in my flats yeah and also I've got a basement flat I've got a garden so I'm lucky in that sense but it is but the flat itself is quite dark and I know that hit during this whole period because I've been freaking out about the whole industry going down and what's going to happen in during COVID and all this I've been working quite a lot so if I'd just been in my office with my head down working away in my flats I wonder how that would have affected me as well so yeah interesting times and challenging times so I'm, yeah. it's great that you've got that's other bonus from this exercise so yeah I, I will keep it up as long as people will want because also an, another thing that lockdown made easier was that it uh, normalized the conversation over the internet yes. instead of having to go to a studio and all of that. So as long as people st keep saying yes to having conversations with me, the podcast will keep going over time until I run out of people. Uh, so I'm sure you have people queuing up to talk to you, so that's not going to happen. That's great. How would you define bravery? Uh, straight in there. How would I define that? <laughs> How would I define bravery? I think it's, I mean, wow. Actually, we do this podcast the day after all the revelations about Noel Clark has come out. So yeah. actually, you know, the bravery can be defined by those 20 plus women who have told their story, spoken their truth, which is a cliche thing to say, but very true. 
bravery comes in all shapes and sizes. I think I think a lot of people aren't in invited commas brave because you need to self-preserve yourself, you want to save yourself from hurt, from all sorts of things, from punishment in all sorts of manners. So, for example, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who haven't spoken out against abuse in the workplace because they're scared of what the repercussions are going to be. Bravery can be a sometimes, you know, again, this whole epidemic, this whole year and more mental health issues are rife in terms of people having to be at home by themselves and the challenges around isolation and uh, you know sometimes bravery can be about speaking about some of those challenges speaking your truth in whatever circumstance coming out of your comfort zone can be is can be brave I was talking to a writer yesterday or a, a woman whose story is being written up she's gonna help produce it and somebody else is writing it but um she's doing a film around uh, a mental health issue involving her family. And when I was talking to her, you all sound really corny when you say it, but I think she's very brave to be putting herself out there and putting her story out there. That's very difficult to admit, you, you know, those issues. And I think that quite often the stories that touch us the most are the bravest stories, are stories where people have, spoke, again, spoken their truth. I think one of the challenges of being a writer is definitely finding a way to expose yourself like that. Part of great writing is exposing. I may destroy you. That's, you know, if we look at that great yeah. piece of work, that is 100% and more, 150% and more, Michaela Cole, putting out there a very raw and, and real experience of her own, which where it started from, but actually other people's as well, you know, because consent and sexual consent in particular especially from a male perspective, is something we don't really, we don't talk about enough. So bravery, but bravery can also be, you know, the, the toddler climbing the climbing frame in the playground and sliding down it, uh, you know, parachuting. There's, there's, it's overcoming fears, isn't it, in some ways, but those fears can come from physical, potential physical pain, mental pain. Um, that mental pain can be from stigma and that pain can be from you know, your perception of what your peers or loved ones will think of you, um, what you'll think of yourself. There's a whole number of reasons why we close ourselves off and we don't express what's real. Bravery, I mean, you know, LGBTQ community, bravery about expressing who you love genuinely, about going out there for all of us, just going out there and being who we really are as a black person, as a, I think, you know, standing out, I mean, you know, I'm not always brave at all. I mean, during the, I always, I'm the first one to go in any over the years, always on a, on anti-racism marches, all the anti-bigotry marches, all of those. But actually when it all kicked off last summer, because I was self-isolated with my mum in terms of kicked off as in all the Black Lives Matters marches last summer, that was the first time for as long as I can remember that I hadn't been on the march because I was self-isolated with my mum and I wasn't brave enough to risk that. It wasn't just about risking that for myself. That's about going out and doing that and bringing that back to my mum. And I say my life as well. You know, I, I changed career in my 40s. There's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. I often say that. So, um, you know, bravery comes in many forms. Sometimes it isn't brave. Also, some people who say they're being brave are just being asses as well. You know, sometimes it's an excuse yeah. for people to be an idiot. So that was a very long answer. Apologies. But 
it comes in many forms yes yeah and you just reminded me of a lot of people who say things like oh i have no filters so i say everything and you know you're just being an yeah, ass exactly that <laughs> they act like they're being brave and they're just like i'm just putting you yeah. know it's just freedom of speech i'm just and it's no you're just being a dick because you know you're being offensive and yeah. you're now covering it by saying that you yeah exactly that I am also like on a on a, a quest to find the cockiest person in the world to come on my podcast and just talk about all the moments in their lives in which they have been brave. Because the question I ask and that I will ask you is about moment moments in your life in which you have been brave, and usually people have some trouble coming up with moments and really saying. Like you were saying, I don't know, there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. They always undermine the moments of bravery. So I want that cocky person to come <laughs> on. But what are moments in your life in which you have been brave? You know what? You did ask me this and I thought about it and I couldn't think of anything. There's only one thing I could think of. But for some reason, I don't know what you just said there, but something you've just reminded me of something that happened years ago, which I haven't thought about in a really long time. <clears throat> and I say that stupidity line all the time. So I don't know why it's just popped into my head. But years, this isn't what, this wasn't, I had no intention to tell you this because I haven't even really remembered it myself until just now again. Years ago, this isn't brave actually. It really is just stupid. <laughs> I think, I think from London, you know, I've seen, I mean, one time I saw, this is going to, I'm hesitating because I want to be like, oh, look at me. So that's why I'm hesitating saying it. But it's just, I've just had a flashback to it. It's really strangely. Um, I remember driving with my ex-boyfriend now And we were driving through Angel, about to turn up Liverpool Road, and there was a kid having his head kicked in by a bunch of, like, kids had jumped him as we turned, he was getting his head kicked in. And my knee-jerk reaction was literally, I literally started opening the door and being, like, screaming at them. And I remember my boyfriend was driving, one hand steering wheel, grabbing me and grabbing me, like, what the fuck are you doing? Telling me to behave myself. And I remember just being, stop the car, stop the car! And it was literally this kid was being, having his head kicked in. And that thing where you just see people don't like to get involved and um do you know what it's weird i haven't really seen so much of that anymore and so another time and another time this makes it sound like london's horrible i remember coming on the train from mine to my mum's actually and this kid had um so this man was on the phone mobile phone and he had these two kids around him and um grown grown ass man proper grown up and then this teenage boy as he was getting off the train stood up and grabbed the man's phone out of his hand. And the guy was like, oh, just give him my phone back, mate. Just give him my phone back. And the kid was like, what phone, what phone? And he said, oh, my car has just been stolen. I'm on the phone to the police. I'm trying to go into meet my wife. I've got my kids to meet. Just, he was literally, this poor man was just like, I just need my phone back. I just don't want an argument. And the kid was just like, what phone, what phone? And, they t and it turned into this mad tussle on the train over the guy's kids. And everybody else looked out the window. They completely like as if they couldn't like one guy was even being leaned on and they all looked as if nothing was happening. They couldn't see it. So in the end, I got up and was like, just get the man's fucking phone back. What are you doing? And I'd massacred this kid and this kid sought me and then chucked the phone at the guy and ran off the train. But stuff like that just drives me insane. But I don't think that's brave. It really annoys me when people can stand back and not stand up for other people. How I don't I think I don't understand how you can watch people be abused like that and not say anything. But I used to get annoyed about stuff like that so much, but then, it's a really depressing story, sorry. But then on the bus by Highby Corner a few years ago, some guy was on the bus at the top deck with his girlfriend and someone a few seats ahead of them chucked some chips at his girlfriend. 
And the guy was like, leave my girlfriend alone. And the guy was like, what do you think you are? And in the end, the idiot with the chips came and stabbed him and killed him. Mm-hmm. And so it's that thing of, you know, every time that I'm brave, and I remember my ex-boyfriend saying to me, it's all very well you being mouthy and telling people to pack things in, but if something happens, I'm going to have the one to get in the middle and stop it. So then you have that dilemma of, okay, so does that mean that I now need to stand by and let people abuse people? Because if I'm with a bloke, they feel like they've got to step in and do something about it. So then where do we go in this world? I'm sorry how this conversation has taken this turn. <laughs> I don't know how we've gone down this road. I do think that's a, an important point because I have been, I think in all my life that I remember into situations that are, no, I have been in, like as a kid at school, there were a lot of like boys that will come up to girls and be like, violent in that way where they're trying to impress the girl but they're actually being violent and I will I will always intervene and uh, kick the boys because I was like I, I developed early so I was bigger than the boys and I could kick them uh, but as an adult I only remember like twice and once uh, I was waiting for a bus in Porto and someone got their wallet stolen and there was screaming and no one in the, the bus stop was full and no one did anything and I was a teenager and I was the only one I didn't like because also because of that thing of protecting myself I just shouted so I didn't go to help but I started shouting for the person to stop stealing a wallet which is maybe not uh, effective but yeah it's a really thin wall between what you can do without putting yourself at risk but also you can't just stand there and do nothing i mean there was a video i mean and it's true how can you there was a there was a video only a couple of weeks ago perhaps you know there's been a lot of asian american hate and there was a poor woman who was walking down a, a street and the building cctv captured it some guy walking literally some random guy punched her to the ground and started kicking her and the security guards and the cleaners men in the building saw stood firstly a little bit not sure what to do and then one guy came from the, so they're all inside they've watched this happen yeah one guy walks from where he is in the hallway in the lobby and shuts the door he doesn't walk up to go and help the woman off the floor to see if she's okay he goes and he closes the door on her and it's like okay the guy who punched you in the street is obviously an arsehole. That's an understatement. Yeah. But the fact that you have, one, watched it and not your instinct wasn't to rush out there and save her from this arsehole. And then you've had a moment to think about it. And in that moment of thinking about it, your instinct was to just go and shut the door and leave yeah. her on the ground. That's just, that's almost worse. That's calculated. That's almost worse. Yeah. And there's a lot of, also in the last few months, a lot of, property over people situations that are also very worrying and uh yeah depressing yeah yeah so i think humanity is what we should all be striving for you know a real do unto others i don't think that's being brave i think that that is being human and being you know in my mind being normal but unfortunately i, I realize why some people are scared and as i say you know that guy was killed on the bus and trying to defend his girlfriend so in a million years if something happened to somebody else because they were stepping in where I'd open my big mouth and try to stop a fight or something how would I ever forgive myself back mm-hmm. to me I'm not trying to make it back to about me but you know that would be awful if somebody got involved in something that you know I was thinking that I could handle and, and didn't so 
but 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 um, but in those situations it's not like that in fact in those situations you don't wear them up i'm not on those situations when i've stepped into things apart from the guy on the bus on the train actually because i could and the guy on the train i was waiting for one of those people around and it's just like you it was him it was awful for this man i kind of felt humiliated humiliated for him in front of his kids this kid this teenage arsehole fighting him for his phone and these kids were just sitting there watching and this man was just like so desperate and he was just saying just as my car stolen I just need to get back to my wife and I'm, I'm just being to the police then and and he was so just desperate and this teenager was just such a wrong one and yes. that was a calculated risk it, it, well, it wasn't a, it wasn't even like it was a risk as well I'm more just like is anybody going to say anything then I'm going to have to so it was more of that so it's not, so I think those things aren't brave as such because I'm probably not thinking straight, really. I think if, if I became a, a master Avenger and went out looking for people, you know, <laughs> that's probably braver. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, so I'm not brave in that sense. Um, I have, a, I have a, a knee-jerk reaction that takes me in that direction. But, but yeah, um, but there are lo- lots of people, I mean, I'd never be a policeman or a fireman or something like that. I'm not that kind of brave at all. I only showed the imagination. I'd never be a policeman anyway. I used to think about being a policeman because I wanted I wanted to change it from the inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got over that quite quickly. But I mean, really, what when you'd asked me the question, what I'd originally thought about, really, which again sounds wanky, but what I'd originally thought about was changing career, I suppose, at, at mm-hmm. in my 40s. And again, that's definitely the 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 definition of all the question about you know, brave or stupid. Um, so I had a good career, which I d- nurtured and developed and worked hard at for 20 plus years, working in marketing and comms, PR, uh, working for big brands, working for government departments, had a company, all of those things you, you might want to have on a tick box if you're that way inclined, and autonomy, and it was great. And I got to that point where most people are thinking about their retirement plan, mm-hmm. but I was always kind of unfulfilled in a sense, you know, I'd always, back in the day, wanted to do some sort of writing writing the reason I got into PR in the first place was because I literally went to a, a careers book in Holborn Library and went through the A to Z of careers got to P for public relations you get to write you get to meet people two things I love to do and so that's why I went into PR but obviously it's not the same kind of writing and you know it's just exactly but you know I was young and naive and I was like okay that sounds good and it's you know and and it was fun and you know I'm not gonna knock it by any stretch each their own but uh but yeah it wasn't what I wanted to be doing so when I eventually discovered screenwriting I'd always worked with in you know kind of theatre end of things always at school from the theatre end of things and I'd done directing at school and stuff obviously somebody reminded me yeah that, that was a very long time ago Janet so which is true but I'd never so I'd read loads of plays and when I went to theatre I've always been I've always loved the theatre so I'd always pick up the plays and stuff but I'd never actually read a tv or film script I just read mm-hmm. plays so the first time I discovered that world I was blown away and I loved it and was immediately taken by it and I'd been trying when I set up my company in 2002 I had been trying so my surname is all I set up a company called awesome communications but the reason that I didn't call it awesome PR or awesome marketing was because I knew I didn't want to do marketing or PR but I wasn't quite sure how I was going to make the move and make the change and I knew that comms and PR was what was what was my bread and butter essentially so I spent those 10 I spent 10 years doing that and as I say good projects good clients but always thinking so I call it communications because you know that's kind of a writing thing and thinking I get into some yeah. sort of writing s kind of thing and so I was doing lots of creative writing courses on the side and then one day I kept hearing about this place called the Arvon Foundation 
which I raved to about anybody who listened to me. I love it, love it, love it. Uh, and it's a centre for writers, set up by writers, staffed by writers. And I think they do other kind of courses now, but I think at the time they only did residential courses. And um, you go on the Monday, you're there all week and you leave on the Saturday. And you usually, depending what the setup is, you get your own room and you have classes all day. And then you, in the evening, you write. And they have everything from, you know, writing your second novel to writing poetry to writing your first script and everything in between. I went along to that. And my friend, his partner, works at one of those. So I chose the one in Hebden Bridge specifically because my friends live around there. I've been willing to go there for ages. I've, I've been on these writing courses at St. Martin's. Uh, university, a part of the University of the Arts. I, people would tell me about this amazing place called Arbonne and I kept hearing about it. And then I went to a friend's wedding with somebody I hadn't seen for years. And an old friend of mine from work was there and his wife, partner, happened to, wife actually, happened to work in one of them. So then she raved at me about it. And then she's very, very, very kindly, Becky, kept sending me loads of information. And eventually I was like, right, okay. So I chose the one near where they live. Um, my friend Chris Smith and Becky and I, went to that one specifically. So it was a case of what courses have they got, because I'll visit my mate at the same time. Yeah. And then they had them writing for TV. Okay, great. So I rocked up, like the fool that I am, they're just like, oh, I'm here, hello. And um, got there and you sit, and my cousin, my friend was like, um, was saying like, people get really highly strung on these courses. And I was thinking, well, you know, I was like, he said, yeah, they really, you know, they get really passionate about it. I was thinking, it's only a course, what you're about, it can't be that stressful. And it's a week. And so you get there on the Monday, as I say, they pair you up with in teams as well. So you get to know people, you get sharing duties for cooking for one, one or two nights a week. It just, I got there and you have that, you know, that meet and greet where you go around the room and say who's who and what yeah. your experience is. And so everyone was like, oh yeah, I'm an accountant. I don't really know much. I've just written five, five TV scripts and you know, five films. And I'd be like, okay. And then somebody was else was like, oh, I'm not very good. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, I've got a play on it at the Leeds Corn Exchange, but um, and I'd be like, oh, right, okay. And then somebody else was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, and they you go around the room and they'd, all these people had this amazing experience. They had all these amazing scripts up their sleeve and they were saying how, and I was just literally like, uh, I'm Janet. I work in PR and marketing. I haven't got a single script. And uh, yeah, why am I here? But it was amazing and I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. And we had, they have a guest speaker. I, we had Paul Abbott, which was amazing. And then we were lucky to have a second guest speaker. And I am ashamed that I don't remember her name because she was actually even more amazing than Paul Abbott, if that's possible, who obviously was a king. And she was the one, she talked about, she did a lot of script to screen stuff and talked about her experiences. And actually when I then applied to do a master's because that was the, the, the week, the Arvon Centre week, inspired me so much and I left there on the Saturday I mean I was so stressed because the pressure of trying to write something and I'd never written read as as I say the script before but I left on the Saturday thinking this is what I want to do oh my god I can't believe I just discovered this thing and I came back and on the Sunday started researching masters and then I applied that was May 2012 so it's my midlife crisis essentially my early midlife crisis so it was May 2012 by September 2012 I started my master's in screenwriting my master's in screenwriting I did my postgraduate script development so I put my master's in screenwriting and then there was a slight overlap actually with my postgraduate script development which I did at the NFTS my master's was at Birkbeck University of London um, and as I was finishing my master's I realized you know what do I do now I really love this thing and it's great but what do I do now how do I go from there to you know 
I really want to do this now, but what do I do? But I, there was a slight part of our course which was development, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And from that, I thought, okay. And one of the girls on the Arvon actually had done the NFTS course. And so it was great. So I applied for that. So a slight overlap. So it was really full on. But I, and it was, and I was, they were like, it's quite hard. I was thinking, it can't, I've just done the master's. Don't you know who I am? It can't be that difficult. Really, really hard. <laughs> it was really, really hard. Um, but I loved it. I really loved it. And that's what set me off and, and started doing, doing working in development. So I had a moment of, I had to have a moment of making a conscious decision about what work I was going to do, because if I carried on taking big PR projects, then I would never have left. You know, you, yeah. you obviously the money's, the money's good um, and you're just so busy. You can't do anything else, really, not substantially. It was hard enough doing the course, but you couldn't really do anything else. Um, and so I had to have a point where I went, okay, when this project ends, I'm not going to take anything else. So that was a scary moment and probably continues to be, you know, but now this is what I do and I love it. And I'm really glad I've made the jump. I, if only, if anything, I wish I'd made the jump years ago. I wish yeah. I'd even really knew, known there was that jump was made, make, makeable. I, I just, I think I just got so distracted. I, I enjoyed university too much. I parted and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't as focused really on what the career end was going to be as I should have been. And so that's why I panicked and went into PR marketing. But actually, that's why I was like, literally was like, shit, I've got to explain to my mum what I've been doing for the last however many years. I need to go and get a job. Let me go to the library. And actually what I should have been doing is finding other alternatives and looking for it. And I, I, I know I, I, I'm a, I love listening to a talk and so many talks and people talk about how they got into these, their jobs. And so many people talk about all the apprenticeships and everything else that they used to have at the BBC years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and they were graduating at the same time as me. And I'm like, oh my God, why didn't I know that? And it, yeah, but that's my bad. So I've come about it. I've got there eventually. I haven't quite got there yet, but I've made the move eventually. But yes, I'm still questioning yeah. whether that's brave or stupid. You have a good point there, which is, which I relate to. At the moment where you have to choose a career when you're the first career or whatever, what you have to work and you have to choose something to do. And even when you're... Uh, have to choose what to study you know no- i knew nothing <laughs> of what was out there so i just chose what was more familiar and sounded okay <laughs> so once you do start doing stuff and discovering there's so much so many things out there yeah it's really hard to to then make a jump because for me it was really hard to make a jump because i had planned my life already and okay, I know what to do next. And now, no, I don't really want to do what's what's next. And now I don't know what's next. So yeah, it's way more uncertain all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it's brave or stupid either. <laughs> <laughs> But I am sure because you did say you like you were unf- unfulfilled in some ways. So maybe it's just what you have to do, right? To be happy. I think 100% you have to do that. My biggest thing is the what if. I hate to be sitting around thinking, what if I'd done that? I wish I'd done that. I, you know, I think that that can kill you actually, that wondering. So I think it's better to take the plunge, to make the effort to go for it. As long as you know, I mean, but when you go for it, you've got to go for it. There's no point doing it half-heartedly. You've got to do it full on and know you've given it your best shot as well, which is what, again, this, this past year has been about, you know, I think, the whole COVID thing, lockdown, work scenario where, you know, most of us would have lost some sort of work in one way or another, hopefully gained in other ways at some other points. But um, it definitely was a, is a moment, was a moment to really start thinking about what you're doing and how you're focused for me anyway. 
and I kept hearing all these stats about how many people are going to be leaving the industry, how the industry mm-hmm. wasn't going to survive, and that probably sent me into overdrive the other in the other direction because I could very easily sit on my ass and eat biscuits and drink cider and wine and prosecco very happily. Or crisps actually more my thing. Give me a packet of Monster Munch, pickled onion, and I'm there. You know, so I could absolutely have just. I, you know, if I'd been if I'd been in a situation where I was being furloughed, I don't even know. I don't even know. What, it's weird because people talk about being. I don't even know what you, what do you do when you're on furlough. I don't even know. I have no idea. Literally, I'm not being facetious. I've got no idea. I mean, I suppose it's a weird one for everybody, isn't it? Because who had even heard of the word beforehand? You know, all of a sudden we're all talking about furlough yeah. as if it's a normal thing. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, I had the fear of taking my foot off the pedal and going the other way, essentially, mm-hmm. and not doing anything and. Yeah, I could easily, especially in our job as well, you know, where a lot of work is about watching and, and watching stuff. You know, a lot of my work yeah. is about watching stuff. I have to know what's on t- what's, what's on mm-hmm. all the platforms and everything else. So I could easily spend my life stuffing my face and drinking and researching. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, i got to make, I, I made a really conscious decision. I don't think, actually, that's not even true. I think it just, it actually probably happened less consciously than I think, but it was more a case of what do I do? And I think screen skills actually were great because they had so many free courses. Don Tabula started it off. There's an immense amount of free courses. I love a Q&A after a film. Yeah. I love a course. I love a talk. There's a director or a, um, any kind of filmmaker who wants to talk about their craft, I'm all over it anyway at the best of times. So the fact that Spinkers had so many things like that and they had commissioners and all sorts of things happening, I worked very heavily on a development project with a writer, which we're hoping to get commissioned, as well as working with writers as I normally do. In the, you know, normally I want to work with writers, I work with them and then they come to me, we do our thing and then they go off. Fly yeah. my pretty. Release them into the world. Ah, yes, exactly. <laughs> lots of projects essentially just had my head down. So I was doing lots of stuff, which was development. I'm trying to produce some short films as well, just to build up my producing experience. I'm saying it happened naturally, but there definitely was a fear factor driving it. And that I just felt I just didn't want to take my foot off the gas, as I say. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult industry. And it's interesting as well, looking at the world from this perspective. I've been in a house and I've worked in a house. In, in a broadcaster at Sky and a commissioning team. And whilst I freelanced in my old career or had a company, but essentially it was the kind of, it was down to me to chase clients who weren't being paid, you know, what paying properly and all that sort of stuff. And it was down to me to chase up work. So I had that in my other world. Going to Sky was the first time in decades where I'd had like, you just got a paycheck coming in every week. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's just going to come without having, you know, and you know, you're obviously you're working and you're working hard, but you haven't even got to think about where that next, you know, having to invoice people and all that kind of, I, just, I had some timesheets and things, but it wasn't the same. So um, coming back into this world and freelancing, and I've been freelancing since Sky for probably about three years and having to get back in that momentum. And it's a, a, such a different mindset being a freelancer in this industry than or in any industry than it is being in-house. And because I hadn't been in-house for so long, I probably slipped into it quite easily, but coming back out of it, it's that realizing, it's that, especially when times are tough, and you're seeing people around you as well who are are struggling so much as well. That realization that all the talk about industry recovering and everything else, if you are in house, you don't, you really don't. It's not the same for you in the slightest. It's really not the same. Yeah. You know the struggles that people are going on as freelancers is, is completely different than people who know they've got a paycheck coming every month and are getting sick pay and are getting holiday pay and are on a pension of some sort as well. You know, it's hundred percent different. Uh, how was it when you? changed careers so you you've 
first you went through the um, education side of things mm. you decided to stop taking PR projects while you were still doing your masters did I or so, did no I was working I had to work so at the time I was working for Microsoft actually mm-hmm. I started off working for Nokia but it was at a time when they were just being bought by Microsoft yeah and so I was in their global global communications team in their digital team um, which is really interesting but they were the team were really really lovely in that they knew I was doing a master's. It was just the time when they were just starting to think about branded content. So they needed people to produce corporate films, essentially. They let me get in charge of a couple of days. So I produced a couple of corporate films for them, branded Mm -hmm. content films for them, which was interesting. But yeah, working and studying is hard, obviously. It was really hard. And I'm not an actual studier. I'm a hands-on person. I'm a kind of doer. The whole knuckling down to your books thing has never really been me. But, you know, it's that thing. I loved the topic, obviously, and I was so glad to be doing it. And I was just really glad to have found, I felt like I'd found my thing. Mm -hmm. I really felt like I'd found my thing. I think screenwriting, writing, storytelling, world creation, character development, all of that is bang on. That's that's kind of what I love, really. Yeah. Which is why I'm really gutted that I didn't think about this and start doing it earlier on. But yeah, so whilst it was difficult, it was really, really worth it. It's one of the best things I've done. And I and I still can't believe that I actually did it. Because when you're in the midst of it as well, you're just like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I doing this? And you're trying to, uh, you know, I'm not studying physics or I'm not, you know, I'm not working out how to make vaccines work. But, you know, storytelling in itself is hard. Writing a script, you know, that, getting that puzzle in the right place is hard work, you know. But it's yeah. really wonderful and rewarding. And, I, you know, I love it. And was it easy for you to start putting yourself forward for jobs? Uh, did you go into with all the the oomph or yeah. was it scary? It's scary. It still is. I think that it's really scary. I think one of the things you have to, we all, not you, we all have to understand, and I'm still understanding it, is that, we, you know, rejection is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that growing a thick skin you know we're not quite actors putting ourselves out there in that same way but the freelance life I think okay from what I understand of it I think there's some freelancers who you work on the same kind of program you work the same I mean that's why the industry in some ways also doesn't necessarily move the way it should do because the same people do the same thing at the time and they go from one job to another and it's all cushy but I think that's a core element of it I think for lots of other people on their periphery you are applying to loads of things and talking to loads of different people and, and it's just a constant putting yourself out there. And that's why I did. I mean, I call it the freelance hustle. It's the constant freelance yeah. hustle is you're constantly putting yourself out there. What, I'm, what I've been trying to do in the last year or so is create more opportunities for myself. I think one of the other challenges is about how you position yourself. So that, again, come back to the whole question of even what my title is but also what you want to work in, in terms of, do I work in comedy? You know, I, I worked in comedy before, the comedy, you know, comedy is my love and my passion. I was in the comedy commissioning team. That's my bag of comedy drama. But there are also lots of amazing stories, which are straight drama, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, it's obvious, the obvious one to quote would be, I may destroy you. Obviously there's humor in that, but it's definitely not a comedy, definitely yeah. not a comedy drama. And would I work on that? Absolutely, of course. Part of me is a bit like, you know, do I want to just keep, you know, that whole having to decide what 
But John, when you want to work in and having to kind of, you know, be, you know, people like people like to put you in a box. I un- and yeah. I do understand that there are certain techniques that go with pulling out comedy, definitely, to get that humour, to get the beats. Mm-hmm. I understand that 100%. But if I go off and do an amazing drama project as well, can I still come back to comedy? That's, that's yeah. my question. I want to still be able to come back to comedy. And people don't necessarily like that. I suppose my, my rambling point is that I am still trying to find out who I am in this world. I literally want to have it all, basically. That's yeah. what I want. I want to have it all. I want to be able to work with you. With, I want to be able to meet the person who's amazing, who's creating something which I might not have seen before or heard before. And I can also, I can have that dystopian futuristic story on my slate, but I could also have that fantastic comedy drama on my slate as well, which actually is a little bit of what I've got going on in terms of my shorts and the film that I'm developing as well. So I, I am trying to have it all, but I'm also trying to find my way in how I have it all. I do think it's really hard to, not necessarily for yourself establishing who you are, because you know what you want to do. It's how you then sell it to the outside the world. world and yes. make it make sense in a way that they will understand you. Yes, and pay me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the important bit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Recognize my brilliance and pay me for it, please. Yeah. And as you know, I have like, I do different things. Like I do photography, I do writing, I do mm. like graphic design and whatever. And I have been told many times that I need to narrow it down to be <laughs> more, I don't know, sellable. And I really don't want to because I like doing all of it. Uh, so yeah, it's really hard to then how can I make it make sense to people? Who am I who can do all these things? So that's like the how, how to paint yourself in a way that is sellable to people absolutely and you know it's a really good point and you know it's the friday afternoon or friday evening and it's quarter past seven yeah. so i'm being slightly relaxed and flipping about it but you know the marketing head the, you know my background is in marketing i do understand the need to package package yourself and to package your product in the day we are products aren't we we're trying to sell ourselves to people so i get it from that perspective 100 and people it's easy if people know who you are in inverted commas they know who to select in an easy way, the, way, the same way people work with the same people all the time because they know what to expect and they don't have to make an effort. So I get it. But I do also think that it is limited. And I, you know, I think it's a really interesting point about how you package yourself and how we have to package ourselves over here as well. So Jamila Jamil talks about this as well and about how when she was in the UK, people wanted her to be a certain way that she grew up, you know, working in with youth television or she her break was for you working with youth television and they had her in a certain box and that was the way they wanted to, to stay and it's actually only when she got to the states when she was able to be well i do this and i do that and i do a bit of this as well and they were like happy days it's all about the entrepreneurial spirit over there and they embrace all those different strings to her bow and people don't really like that here and it's interesting one of the things when i first was trying to find my way and make my break in this industry and I would talk to people in production companies I had quite a few people say to me you oh what you do development now and I'd be like yeah and they said but you used to be you were a screenwriter and I'd say yeah and they said well you can't do both you got what do you want to do do you want to write or do you want to develop and why can't I do both mm-hmm. and they'd say you can't you have to choose and their point being that you are going to be working with a writer and you're going to be putting your your space to be developing a writer but you're going to be putting your own writing thoughts onto them and you're not going to be able to yeah. separate the two. That's their point, which I, I understand their point, but I also think that as a good, the whole point of being a good developer is being able to separate the two. That's, yeah. that's your job. 
And it used to really frustrate me because I'd think, gosh, if my hobby was playing golf, nobody would blink an eyelid. But my hobby is something which surely will enhance my work as a development person. Mm -hmm. And it's a problem. And it used to really frustrate me. And, you know, I have to give credit where credit's due. Definitely that I, when I went to my interview at Sky, the gentleman who turned into my boss, John Montague, when the interview at the very end was the interview, he said to me, if you got this job, would you carry on writing? So my, it was for a development exec there. And he said, if you got this job, would you carry on writing? And I really was like, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, here we go again, right? So I was yeah. very like, yes, I would. I was waiting, I was just like, yeah, okay. Yes, I would actually. And waiting for his response. And he turned around and he said, good, I'm glad. That's brilliant. And I was so surprised. It was so not the answer I was expecting because that isn't what anybody else had said to me. And from that moment, I've been, to be honest, I wasn't quite sure about the job before then. And then I left that interview and he'd been so cool. And from that moment, I was like, oh my God, I really want this job. And, and the whole conversation had been great, but that bit in particular, I was like, okay, that, that's pretty cool. So yes, people do like to box you, but I think actually what people should be doing is understand in the same way as a writer, painter, any kind of artist, you should be consuming other types of art, other kinds of creativity, because it's all, it's all good for your creativity, isn't it? It's all inspiring. You find inspiration in so many different yeah. ways. I think it's a similar kind of thing. Don't box us in, man. You have like touched upon upon some moments where you maybe delayed some things, and I don't know if that was because of lack of bravery or just the way life happens. But on the other side of the scale, were there moments in your life in which you haven't done something for lack of bravery or fear? Every day, every day, I'm not emailing somebody or not doing something because I have a fear of failure or a fear of looking daft or looking desperate. You know, in the back of my mind, constantly I have that pride come to full fall motto. So just do it, stop worrying. But it doesn't mean I just do it. You know, I'm still like, you know, people always, you know, I had a really, really lovely woman producer who was giving me a, a, a pep talk. And she was saying to me, you should just email all these people. And she was so lovely. We had a really good chat. And I was like, okay, okay, I will. And I didn't because I thought, so it's a real do as I say, not as I do. Because if you, if I was telling, if somebody was telling me that, I'd be, in fact, I've just started, I'm about to start mentoring somebody myself. So I'm going to be saying to her, do all these things. Yeah. But, um, but it's it's a really weird one because it's like what I'm going to say. So I think it's that thing about being sure about what you're going to say. I, I do myself a slight disservice in that, in the sense that I, I probably, I do put myself out there more than I give myself credit for. But I also know there's a lot of times when I don't. There's a lot of times when I don't send that email. There's a lot of times. You know, even when I, for example, when I first, first time somebody asked to see my script, one of the scripts I'd written, it took me six months to send it to them because I was just like, oh, I'm just properly like, somebody's got to see my, like an agent. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was mortified. And now I'm really kicking myself. And they didn't take it on, but they said lots of lovely things about it and they want to see the rest of my work. And now I'm really kicking myself for not actually sending it to more people. I just sent it to one person. Yeah. And it's like, stupid. I just sent it to loads of people. And, it's, and actually, ironically, it, within it, this is before, this was like, gosh, 2014, maybe. And it, within it, it, it deals with somebody sending us dick pic and you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, which actually would have been ahead of the curve no pun yeah. intended. You just need to do it. But yes, there's loads of times when I don't do things because I'm scared or worried. But I'm trying to get over that. I'm trying to just think, do it. Because I also know if somebody asks me for something, 
I 100% will try my best to help them out in any way possible. Mm-hmm. That should never doubt. But yeah, it's easier to give than to receive sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. And you, you do like, there's two things, which is you see other people with kinder eyes that you, than you see yourself usually, yes. right? And yeah. that thing that you were saying that you do put yourself out there more than you are giving yourself credit for. But also maybe inside you, you know, you could because you are you and you know the times you didn't do it you yeah. know that you could have done it way more times way way more times absolutely yeah definitely and that happened like when i'm talking to people and saying i am lazy because i haven't done this project or that project and they oh but you do so many things i know but there's a lot of time during my day that i could have been doing more but i'm just being lazy or usually it's scared it's not lazy but yeah afraid of doing something that will make me look as you said, daft. I think that's the correct word. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Put yourself out there. But you know, again, that comes to, you know, being being artists and creatives. Yeah. You know, it's it is about putting ourselves out there, but um, and opening yourselves up in in, in different ways. But that, uh, but it is, yeah, it can be very hard. Yeah, and it's all that thing of the fear of rejection as well. Yeah, which we're all so afraid of <laughs> fear of rejection, fear of you know. We talked about something else before we started on this podcast, and on and I was talking about you know I've been asked to teach a couple of things, and I had a massive imposter syndrome when I was asked to teach on this initiative, which I'm really enjoying. But it's really it's really full on. But I'm really enjoying it, as in it's full on, as in prepping for the classes and stuff. Um, and it's only seven weeks, but I. Hugely had it, but so as part of the fear of rejection, there's also that that imposter syndrome element of like, who am I to be yeah. like? So you know, developing stuff for people is one thing. Even then, you have a who, who am I moment. But teaching as you know, being teacher, that just feels so formal, and it just feels really formal. So I had a moment of like, oh yeah, really? Am I am I teacher? So there's a whole bunch of 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 things out there that can stop you doing stuff. There's a really good book actually. Or I listened to it as an audio, a wonderful development producer that I know called Madeline Addy recommended it to me when I was uh, taking on a new chapter. And it's by Shonda Rhimes and it's the year of saying yes. Oh, yeah. And it's really interesting. And I listened to that uh, a while ago now, actually, but I just found it. I loved it. I when I was asked to teach on this thing recently, this, this it, it's a development initiative for writers. So it's totally up my street but they because they became formalized it made me a bit uncomfortable but I just had a moment when I was saying no and I just thought why am I why am I saying no actually everything I, I have to formalize it in a different way but pretty much what I do when I'm working with writers is a similar yeah. kind of thing so every now and again I tap into that and just think just stop worrying so much stop second guessing yourself so much and and do it so but yeah it's hard just need to keep on doing it and we'll, we'll get used to it maybe one day uh is there anything coming up in your future for which you will have to be brave yes there is a i mentioned earlier on a project that i am working on with a writer we developed it over the summer if we get the commission if we get this if we get signed in the way we think we're going to get signed I'm going to have to put on my big girl's pants, as they say. And it's going to be a lot of negotiating and standing my ground, I suppose, to make sure that I am utilising the right way, the most appropriate way, and that the work that I've done has been recognised, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a, yeah, there's negotiating bravery that I need to be better at, actually, because I think for other people, I'm great. Um but for myself, I'm not necessarily as good as I should be at all. Mm-hmm. So I think that is definitely something which I need to get better at. And I'm going to have to 
find a way to stand up for myself in, in this environment in a way that's polite and respectful, but also means that I uh, am comfortable with the way, the direction it goes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be 50 in July. That's the one I have to be brave about that. <laughs> I wouldn't say you were 50. And I have been to your birthday maybe not last year but week the year before so i know your age but still <laughs> it's always surprising it was surprises me as well honey honestly <laughs> surprises me <clears throat> my nephew was saying my nephew's just turned 30 and he was like it really snuck up on me and i said if you think 30 <laughs> sneaks up on you 50 is a ninja mate that's got nothing on you <laughs> so yeah that is very bizarre um so that i'm gonna be brave about i think there's also a thing around that that makes you just think That's why I've got, you know, we were having this conversation earlier on about as well when I was saying I want to be focused, I need to be focused. I'm very easily sidetracked by lovely people, by interesting things, by interesting projects, but they aren't necessarily the thing that I need to be focused on. And so as I approach my half century, you know, and bearing in mind that in my mind, I should have done, made this move 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. at least 10 years ago. And I've been doing it for, for some time now, but even so, I've still got a long way to go. Um, you know, I've still got a long way to go. So I need to be focused. The time just goes really quick. I mean, we're in May, practically. We're yeah. in May tomorrow. So before you know it, you know, the, the year will be gone, unbelievably. As ridiculous as it sounds, I can't believe we're in May. And so that's why. So I think the, the thing I need to be brave about is, as we discussed earlier on, the saying no to interesting opportunities, but ones that aren't the right opportunity. Uh, being brave enough to stick to my personal strategy and to stay focused on what it is I want to do and what I want to achieve, which can be difficult and hard. Definitely. I'm curious about one thing, if the way you faced things when you were doing PR, because it's also a career you've started and you maybe had the same sort of struggles of getting up to people to get jobs and all of that. How do the two differ? Do you know what? They don't differ in lots of ways. There's lots of similarities. The work I got in PR was very much word of mouth, actually. So there's a lot, a lot of similarities there. I think it was just that I'd done it for longer. I, yeah. you know, I'd done it for longer. And um, I think a difference as well, actually, is that I had, so I suppose in this industry, I didn't start as a runner. I didn't start in the in the photocopying room. And so I think there is a difference to your inside knowledge. And I think there's a lot to be said for having that that proper grassroots start. Yeah. Um, which I had, you know, if I was in my office or in an office in my PR world, anything in that office that break down, I could sort it. Obviously, if other people were there, then there'd be other people who'd be able to do it for me and all that kind of stuff. But if I was there by myself, I could sort anything, you know. And in this industry, there's still a lot that I don't know from a, a more junior level, I suppose. Yeah. Which which is kind of a shame because I think all of those skills are just wonderful to have. It's just so enriching the whole experience. Um, even even from a writing perspective, uh, I think it's still really great to know how a, how a set works. I think it's really great mm-hmm. to understand how those things work. And even though, yes, my love is writing and, and development, producing is also something I want to be doing. I want very much want that to be, you know, I want to be, I want to be making things all the way through. I want to be yeah. able to help writing the story and making them as well. So, um, so I'm digressing from your question. So, so yeah, I think that in terms of the similarities of how I got business, again, that was, a free, that was the hustle as well. It was that, you know, a lot of things came through word of mouth. 
mouth, as I said, but there's also not, you know, I think in this industry, I've been is probably more networking in that industry. I didn't as such. Also, when I when I went and set up my own company, when I left where I was, I was working at ITV and I left back and started working by myself. It was in the world where uh, I really show my age now. When uh, social media was really just really showed my age now, <laughs> social media was really just taken off, and so I was able to go off and develop and learn those skills myself because everybody was doing a free, you know, there, there were free courses and people were experimenting. There were loads of like meetup groups, and loads of people getting together to talk about this new thing that you know was, that was taken off. There were lots of opportunities to meet like-minded people um, in that in that environment. She wasn't necessarily networking as such. You were all kind of learning and growing together, I suppose. Yeah. And then when I realised I wanted to transition into this, this world, there was a year, in fact, actually, while I was using all my savings, spending all my cash, um, while I was trying to get my foot properly in the door in this industry. But I was, as I said, had said, I'm not going to take another one of those PR projects again. And so my way around it was to train and teach. So I was teaching people uh, social media and... Yeah writing strategies for them teaching them how to do marketing PR themselves Mm -hmm. coming in and teaching small businesses and and teaching their comms teams and stuff uh which gave me kind of the best of both worlds so I didn't have to do it because I was just bored of implementing stuff social media social media gave me another 10 years basically of that industry um it made it all interesting again because we were doing comms in a different kind of way but I was so bored really so um and I didn't want to do I didn't want to be doing and implementing marketing campaigns I think with everything, isn't it? It's about adjusting yourself, making yourself flexible enough and adjusting yourself in such a way that you can meet your needs, meet the needs in the market and still pay your bills. And and I think if you can do all the same way that you say that you do photography, you do your stand-up, you do all those things, you have got lots of strings to your bow. I think if you're able to do all those things and make a living and ideally a living which all, you know, and have a career in all those things, then happy days. Why should yeah. we... Why should we contain ourselves to just one one thing if we can do all of it? I mean, and I know there's the jack of all trades, master of none thing, but especially if we're doing things which complement each other, which I think, you know, creative skill sets do, mm-hmm. then why not? That's a great point to end on, but we're not ending yet. Uh, <laughs> there's one more question about bravery, which is whether there is someone fictional or real from your own life or maybe a famous person that you all use as an example of bravery? Oh, well, I'm probably going to... Uh, did you tell me about this question before? Was I supposed to think no. of somebody? Okay, good. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm thinking, how rubbish have I been? I um, like to just throw that in there because I think the first thing that the first thing that comes to people's minds is always the best. <laughs> I'm going to say my mum, actually, which is corny, but I'm going to say my mother. I hugely admire my mum. I think she came to the UK and has made a life here she got here at a time when Jamaican people had been all Caribbean people have been invited over here to a world where the Tories were advertising for their next election with slogans saying if you want a nigger for a neighbor vote Labour and where people were surprised that all these black people were here and had no idea that they'd been invited over had no idea that they fought in the war had no idea about the support that you know, that people thought they were coming to their motherland. They were so excited. And she came here and she braved all of that. She worked hard to become a nurse. Uh, she was one of the first people to lecture on AIDS here. She, she did lots of training around HIV. She became a senior midwife at Leesham Hospital. 
She uh, used to run family planning clinics. She is, is fantastic, really. So I, I think, I mean, you've, you've left a country and come from another country and made your life here. I mean, I'm extremely boring, born and bred in London, born and bred in South London, now live in North East London. I mean, you know, I, I haven't done that. And I think part of the problem with being born and bred in London was by the time I was going to uni, I was like, oh, London's really great, isn't it? And didn't go anywhere else, um, which is a shame. But I think it's, you know, I think it's great to go off and amazing to go off and, and live your life. And I've seen some of the obstacles and racism and all sorts of things that my mother's had to overcome and has overcome amazingly for her children and for other people as well. My mum would, you know, she would put, she literally take the coat off her back for anybody, for anybody, but for lots of people. She, she, you know, when she retired, she started a caring service up at her church. She, she did that three times a week. She was a chaplain at her local hospital. She did all, you know, oh, she's not dead. She's still, she's next door. But, you know, so I hugely admire her. And I think she's very, she's, I, brave isn't the right word, probably fearless is probably more, I'd say, mm -hmm. rather than just straight brave. Yeah, I think that she is definitely an inspiration. She also drives me insane sometimes, it's very true. <laughs> and I drive her insane sometimes. Uh, but yeah, she's definitely has been fearless and there's been, and a, you know, there's been situations where, there's been lots of situations where I, you know, I haven't necessarily been as strong as I should have been. But there's definitely been situations where if I hadn't had the upbringing and, and been given this, the, the, the feeling of self-worth that my mother instilled in all of us, there were lots of situations where I would have crumbled 100%. But because uh, I, I know that I do have value, there have definitely been situations where I've been able to go, okay, I'm, I, even if I have at the time, of it, you know, you might take that blow mentally, when I, you know, you walk away and you go, actually, no, I'm not gonna, not gonna, I'm gonna come back, come back and come back fighting. And that is because of stuff that my mum has instilled in me. So yeah, so I would definitely, I'd probably say my mum. I'd say give her an extra hug and an extra kiss today. Cause yeah, yeah she, she sounds like a great person. Oh, thank you. I will do. This is, I will let you go. The, there's one last thing and it doesn't have to do with bravery and it's whether you have anything to plug or promote. Oh, ah, gosh, do I have anything to plug or promote? I don't think I do. I don't actually. My services come to me as uh, if you were writing uh, or if you're looking for a script editor, script consultant, creative producer, producer on a fantastic TV show or film, give me a shout. Thank you so much for being a guest <laughs> of my podcast. <laughs> I will add your details to, to the description of the podcast so people can find find where to find you that's why it was hard for me because i'm just repeating myself <laughs> you're doing very well thank you so much you know it's 20 to 8 i think you've both done exactly. well yeah so <laughs> on a friday you. so on yeah a friday. it's a, a week long on top of our shoulders now <laughs> yeah absolutely but thank you for having me i'm i'm flattered you want to be part of it and i'm delighted with you that you're doing that you're doing it and doing it so well as well so congratulations thank you thank you so much for for doing it Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at, at Beats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowdy updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag DowdyPod. I would also like to know your pics of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are in podcast related. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give, and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Mariana's Beats. I've been Mariana Feijó. Until next week.